are listening to the Fuerte Network. Welcome to Migrants on Air and Immigration Podcast. My name is Karina Dominguez, and today we have a very special episode for all of you centered around education equity. This November, voters will have the opportunity to vote yes on Proposition 308, which would provide in-state tuition to all Arizona high school graduates, regardless of immigration status. Our schedule is packed today with five guests, uh, but before we get started, I want to introduce our two other hosts, Carlos Yanez and Dani Orona. How are you two doing today? Doing really, really good, Karina. Thank you so much. And it's uh, excited for this episode. We've been planning it for a couple of weeks now. I think it's going to be one of the biggest ones that we have put out. Looking forward to the editing process of all this. Might be a two-parter, so you guys might get some bonus content on this one, but excited to be here. Yeah, same. I'm, I'm doing pretty well and just excited to be back by otro episodio. Um, we're back. <laughs> we're doing it again, um, but super happy to be here with you guys. Awesome. Well, yeah, I'm super excited too. And I think this is the most guest we've had as well. So recording yep. has been crazy. But today's topic also hits close to home for the three of us. But before we share a little bit a little bit of our story, um, we do want to provide a timeline for everyone listening. Uh, we really want to provide you all with the context of what undocumented students have had to navigate over the past 16 years. Yeah, and our timeline actually begins in November of 2006, when 71.44% of Arizona voters voted in favor of something called Proposition 300. Uh, a vote yes meant that only citizens or legal residents of the United States were eligible to, first of all, participate in state-subsidized immigrant and adult education classes, as well as receive in-state student or county resident status for community college and university purposes. Uh, it also made receiving state-subsidized tuition and fee waivers and financial assistance very difficult. And it also impacted the ability of individuals to receive state subsidized child care assistance, as well as participating in state sponsored family literacy programs. Our episode today will actually focus on point number two, uh, which means that after 2006, undocumented students in Arizona actually started paying out of state tuition at public higher education institutions. So what does this look like? Before 2006, uh, in-state tuition, or otherwise known as the 100% tuition rate, meant paying around $65 per credit at a community college and about 2,200 per semester at the three state universities, which in Arizona is ASU, NAU, and U of A. But after 2006, after Proposition 300, you were being charged out-of-state tuition or a 300% tuition rate, meaning that it was around $280 per credit at a community college and about 7,500 per semester at the three state universities. Imagine looking at your tuition payment and seeing the price of your education triple practically overnight. According to a report published by Cronkite News in the spring of 2007, there were 1,524 undocumented students in Arizona's public universities. That number fell to 106 in the fall of 2010 as a result of Proposition 300. Let's sit with that number, 106. Continuing with our timeline, in 2012, the DACA program was established by the Obama administration. The Maricopa Community College decided that DACA students with work permits were now eligible for in-state tuition. The three state universities followed that the community colleges on that decision. An important distinction to make after 2012 is that now we had two groups of undocumented students, those with DACA and those without. 
From 2012 to 2017, DACA recipients were paying in-state tuition in Arizona. However, there were constant legal battles happening during the first time that put DACA recipients on a limbo. In 2013, the Arizona Attorney General sued the Maricopa Community Colleges, arguing they had violated Prop 300. In 2015, Maricopa County Superior Judge sided with the community colleges, which allowed them to keep providing in-state tuition. And in 2015, ASU, NAU, and U of A, through the Arizona Board of Regents, actually passed the 150% tuition rate for DACA recipients. So this meant that DACA recipients would pay a price between in-state and out-of-state tuition after meeting a number of requirements. Uh, however, since at the time DACA recipients were already paying in-state tuition, the policy stayed on the sideline as a just-in-case. And then in 2017, the Arizona Court of Appeals overturned the previous decision by the lower court judge, meaning that DACA recipients lost in-state tuition at the community colleges and actually now had to pay 150% tuition rate at the three state universities. And then the community colleges decided to appeal to the Arizona Supreme Court. And then once at the Arizona Supreme Court and once its decision came out in the fall of 2018, it solidified the previous decision that denied in-state tuition for DACA recipients. So in 2019, the three in-state universities expanded the 150% tuition rate for undocumented students without DACA, which means that currently this is where we are in, in terms of tuition pricing. Undocumented students with and without DACA pay out-of-state tuition at the community colleges and pay a 150% tuition rate at the three in-state universities. So... If we fast forward now to 2022, after continued advocacy from our community, Proposition 308 will actually be on the ballot this year. So if you support this proposition, uh, a vote yes would mean allowing non-citizen students to receive in-state college tuition if a student attended school in Arizona for at least two years, and if that student graduated from a public school, private school, or homeschool in Arizona. But yeah, that is pretty much our timeline since 2006 to 2022. And we know it's a lot of information. There were a lot of ups and downs, in-state tuition being granted, being taken away, then introducing this 150% rate. But if you're still trying to understand this timeline that we provided, we will be posting on our Instagram at FuerteAC a visual to make this a little bit easier. And hopefully you can follow along. But you'll also understand a lot of this based on the stories that we will be having today. But as I mentioned, Carlos, Danny, and I were also affected by Prop 300, and the three of us fall in different aspects of this timeline. So, Danny, where do you see yourself in this timeline, and how was your educational journey during that time? Well, my educational, I started since uh, preschool. I, I lived in Arizona basically my entire life, so starting preschool elementary school, middle, high school, like I had one goal, which is uh, the goal of many students, go to college, get a good job. And all everything that was explained to me growing up as a little kid is like, if you get good grades, you get scholarships, and you don't have to worry about anything. So that was my only goal. And in 2006, when this all started going down, I was actually a sophomore in high school. So uh, almost at the tail end of the race, you know, trying to get across the finish line and start my college journey. And so when all that started happening, we uh, I started to see not only college stores closing, but community college was, was of, of course, the backup. I actually, after graduating, I went to GCC uh, and I took an entrance exam there. Uh, to see kind of where placement would be, what kind of classes I should take. 
And I've always been good at tests. I've always been good at school. With that test that I took, they actually looked at the scores and the timing and everything. And they said they had qualified for some, I think it was some presidential scholarship program that they had there. And pretty much what that meant was they said, okay, no, this, these scores are incredible. You're going to, you're going to come in and we're going to give you your first two years free. So pretty much I was going to get an associate's right there from GCC without having to pay anything at all. And uh, when I, when I went to the office, they were having me fill out the paperwork and then that little box right there, SSN. And so I was like, well, I, I don't have that. I, I, I can't provide you with that. Well, if you can't provide that, then we cannot give you this scholarship. And then uh, having, having to pay, I believe, I try to go the long way, which is like taking one, two classes at a time. Uh, pretty much only survived one semester of that because each credit was like, I believe, $300. I think it was like $680 that I paid for two credits in, in that first semester at GCC. And with that, having to miss work for those days at school, really, it, it affected my paycheck, obviously. And I, I, so that just limited the amount of money that I could be paying. So it was very easy after one semester to find out that it was not sustainable for me. And that pretty much put an end to my educational journey at that point. And I believe that was in 2010 when that happened mm -hmm. so that's pretty much the last time I've set foot in a in in a school as a student what would have like a, a version of a prop 308 during that time meant for you it would have meant that you wouldn't have taken two years for an associate or even four years for uh, a bachelor's degree it might have taken a bit longer but I would have been able to do it I would have been able to work enough to pay rent pay my pay my bills at home and pay for a few classes each semester to start knocking them off little by little so kind of climb that ladder pretty much to get that degree and so for me that's that's what it would have meant it would have meant that it could have happened for me mm -hmm. yeah and that's that's really hard like just to imagine how one piece of legislation has affected us since like so many years ago and it keeps affecting like students to this date and a lot of us share very similar stories but I know for like Carlos and I we I, I believe we both graduated in 2017 from high school right Carlos but our yeah. story is also a little bit different because Carlos has DACA and I don't have DACA so how was your your educational journey Carlos? Yeah I think back in 2017 um especially programming was was very different. I think the fact that DACA doesn't really exist exist anymore. So people coming into universities now don't really have um, deferred action. So, but back in 2017, programs were a lot more exclusive. So it was very DACA, DACA centered. So I was lucky. I think the permit gave me like scholarship money basically to, to go to school, but I did come into school with institution. So I, I got institution for one semester and then the second semester, uh, that's when it tripled. So uh, I do remember that. I remember being outside of the Supreme Court and I was out there crying, bro. Like, está chillando. <laughs> I was like, oh, <laughs> damn, like it's expensive. Like school is just so expensive. But I was really lucky because the the school basically because of my scholarship was able to help me meet that that extra gap. So I only had to pay a little bit of money. So it wasn't really like a super big burden. but 
I think especially um, because of the DACA status and because of that scholarship, um, a lot of those, those decisions didn't impact me in the way that they impacted other students. And claro, like throughout university, like, you know, like the program can, kept getting canceled, Supreme Court decisions, uh, Arizona Supreme Court decisions, like that was going on. And that was stressful. But I think in terms of the actual education and being able to pay for it, I, I was very, very lucky. And for you, what would have like institution meant? Yeah, I think from from the jump, like I think it would have just been less stress in those months where I didn't really know if I was going to continue going to school because I didn't know if my scholarship was going to going to stay active or if they were going to pay for it. I was looking at places to go. Um, I knew I wanted to continue my education. So I was thinking of, oh, where do I move to? Like, how am I going to move? Like, which schools do I apply to? Um, so I was looking like everywhere. Like I, I had plans to like move out of state or go to different cities that are a little more undocumented friendly. So I think it was just what it meant less stress. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can definitely relate to the stress part. I think for me, like I started my journey at Glendale Community College and I had to pay out-of-state tuition, which was about 4000 per semester. And I mm-hmm. think during that time, I was just living semester by semester. I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be back next semester. I'm just going to, you know, do my classes uh, and then, I'll worry about signing up for for next semester when the time comes. And then I ended up going to ASU and the tuition was 13,000 per semester. Lord. Um and that was for one year my junior year at ASU I paid out of state tuition for two semesters and then um the next semester was when the 150% rate was expanded. So I remember I was like going into one of my classes and then they announced like oh yeah like now we're going to be expanding 150 percent to those without DACA and I looked at my at my tuition price and it went from 13,000 to like 7,000 and I was like it was that easy literally <laughs> you just had to do like one thing and then the amount that I have to pay just goes down by like that much money um and now, like when I think about it, like if, you know, when proposition, not if, when proposition 308 passes, like that's going to be insane seeing, you know, that price drop from like now 7,000 to maybe to like 5,000. And at the community colleges, that's where it's going to make the biggest difference from 4,000 to like maybe about $1,000. And I think just seeing those numbers um, really like, you know, it messes up with your brain. You're like, how am I going to pay for that? But now seeing a lower number like hopefully that encourage not encourages but like that makes people feel like you know it's more doable yeah like it, it's not uh-huh. that it encourages but it doesn't shove them away right away yeah, it's uh-huh, it do, exactly. it's not a wall anymore mm. yeah and i mean even a thousand dollars or like five thousand it's still so much money mm. but you know hopefully also scholarships start expanding their like expanding their access to undocumented students so we can actually, you know, pay for for tuition. But yeah, as we mentioned, we will have five speakers today. We will probably have to make this a two-parter, but we're going to have undocumented folks that fit in this timeline during very different times. You know, we have some people that were there before Proposition 300 happened. And then a few years afterwards, we have some people that, you know, were there when DACA happened, some people that weren't able to qualify for DACA, 
We'll have a current community college student and a high school student share their experience with us and just really emphasize the importance of us being able to pass Proposition 308. So we are going to get started with our first speaker, Karina Ruiz, and Carlos is going to be leading this first interview for us. Karina, um, would you be able to please introduce yourself, your hometown, where you currently are, where you're joining us from, and any other information uh, you'd like to share? Yes. Hello, my name is Karina Ruiz de Diaz. I am. I was born in Estado de Mexico, Tlanepantla. Um, my parents are from Oaxaca, where I am currently at. Um, I'm visiting my parents' hometown. And I live in Phoenix, Arizona, which I call home for the past 23 years already. Mother of three, grandmother of three, and DACA recipient. And then can you also walk us through a little bit of your educational journey? Yes. Oh, wow. So I finished my middle school in Mexico. Uh, secundaria is what they call it. And uh, I moved at the age of 15 to Phoenix, Arizona. Um, I, I had to uh, go to high school there. Um, they actually set me back one year because I didn't speak um, English you know, at the level. So I had to take a couple of years of English as second language, and then they moved me to regular classes. Um, this was between 2000 and 2003. I graduated from San Islope High School in 2003. And I remember in 2001, I heard about the DREAM Act for the first time. And I thought, well, maybe I could benefit from that, but it failed and nothing happened. And then uh, in 2003, I, I didn't know if I could apply for college. So my counselor told me, uh, try it. And if, you, if they don't accept you, we'll find out or figure out what to do. She was really nice. And I applied, got accepted to Arizona State University. I went for a biochemistry degree. Um, but in 2006 is when I heard of Prop 300, uh, which um, required to show proof of legal residency or citizenship in order to qualify for a state tuition. I didn't know the difference until they told me the amount, all right? It was about $2,000 a semester back then versus like um, three times the amount, which was about $6,000 a semester. So that's what, that was when I was like, wow, I, I can afford 2,000. I actually, before eBerify work as an undocumented person, um, and I paid my whole tuition. I didn't ask the government for anything, not that I could qualify, but I didn't even know that I could apply for scholarships or that I was not eligible for them. Um, so every penny I made at work, I saved for school. And it was devastating in 2009 when I had, um, had to pay three times the tuition. Fortunate enough, there was a scholarship for one year. It was an emergency scholarship when Prop 300 was implemented. After it was passed by 70% of the electorate, nobody knew about undocumented students or, or care for us. We were afraid in the shadows. Very few of us sp spoke up. And I remember I, I attended a protest and they didn't even put my picture in the, in the paper, in the school paper, because they were afraid that I could be identified. So anyways, I, I had to drop out of school because I couldn't pay for my last semester 
at three times the tuition. And I know many other students were affected by, by this change. It was, it was very devastating not having the resources or the money to be able to, to go to school. And then after 2012, when I got DACA, I heard John Brewer saying, no institution for DACA recipients and no driver's licenses. And I was like, ah, again, you know, I was so hopeful that with DACA, I would be able to go back to school and finish. They sent us back again. Um, and I had to take my last semester of class a semester. So I finished in May 2012. I was able finally to graduate with a Bachelor of Science in Biochemistry uh, from Arizona State University. It took 12 years, um, but I made it. And you know that's why I tell students when, when they're now in high school, I, I say, it might take long, it might be hard, but you can do it if you want to, si se puede. So just, just keep going, you know, whatever it takes, your education is worth it. Your story is special, I think, because, and correct me if I'm wrong, but you were in, in school the, in the period before and then after, right? What feelings did you have? What um, initial reactions did you see, did you have when those laws were passed? And what kind of reactions did you see for, for the people around you? Yeah, um, it was it was hard because back then we didn't talk about our immigration status like now. I remember in high school, it was kind of like, kind of like you know, <laughs> you know the people because the the students who had like uh, their their papers or documents or were citizens or residents, they went into the driver education class, and I was like, I, I can't, I don't, I I don't have what they're asking me in order to get a driver's license, so I I couldn't really attend that class. It's things like that, you know, like where they were like talking about filling out the FAPS and filling out all these other things to go to college. And it's like, they asked for social security and I, I don't have that. So when, when I heard about Prop 300, I wanted to get involved and do something because I knew it was going to affect me. And I went with, I think it was Mi Familia Bota that put out a call for people to uh, phone bank. And I remember this, this phone bank I, I attended. I was talking to a Latina. The, the lady was a Latina. And I explained to her my situation. I said, hey, like, I really want to go to school, to college. Um, I'm about to graduate. But this law is going to, like, really affect me. And I won't be able to finish my degree. And she answered, it's because of people like you that my son cannot go to school. And I said, excuse me? And she said, yes, he cannot get scholarships because of people illegal like you. And I said, I'm sorry, ma'am, but with all due respect, I work um, and I pay for my, for my tuition. And I'm, I'm not responsible if you or your son are not eligible for whatever threshold they put and they said for your son to be eligible for a scholarship. I, I, I'm sorry about the situation, but it's not my fault. And, you know, she just answered back, not believing me and having me as a scapegoat. I was really a scapegoat and, and, and especially coming from, from somebody from our community, it was really painful to hear those misconceptions, to hear, you know, that people really believe that I was taking somebody's spot when, you know, I had nothing to do with their situation. So it was difficult. And then I remember the leaders from the organization saying, okay, that's it, right? Are you going to come back? Or I said, I have to work. 
I have my son already. I have school, so I, I might be able to come next time, but I'm not sure. And true thing, I, I, I didn't have enough time in, in, in my day to, to be able to go back and help. So I understand those people that now tell me, I might be able to go to your meeting, but I'm not sure. Like, I get it. I was there one time, you know? Um, and I tell them, don't worry. If you can send a text or if you can make a phone call, let us give, us a, let us give you a script in order to help you with that, you know, cause I was in that situation wanting to help and not knowing. In school, I looked around, especially in the sciences, very few Latinos or Latinas. I had only like one other girl in one of my smaller classes. The other ones were big lectures when you don't really get to know people. But in my labs, um, I only saw one other Latina and she was a legal resident. She used to tell me, oh, I'm going to go for the summer to Mexico to visit my family or to go to Puerto Peñasco. And I was like, yeah, that sounds good. That sounds really cool, you know, and I'm here not being able to go to Puerto Peñasco. <laughs> and so it, it was it was hard because I didn't know where to find help. I looked around and there was no people talking about undocumented students. There was... I mean, like I said, hardly anyone that was undocumented or that was willing to share that they were. So it was very difficult. It was a real struggle not being able to lean on others that were in the same situation as myself. Yeah, I, you know, I stick through it, but even doing a sorority was hard. I think I went through the process and I decided not to do it just because I don't know, I did, I felt kind of out of place in those spaces. And I think, especially right now, um, there's a lot going on in immigration and a lot going on in education. Why do you think this topic is important to, to talk about, um, especially with the events we're seeing right now? It is so important because we've been fighting for this for so long. You know, um, uh, Prop 300 has been in the books since 2006. And if you ask high school students right now, a lot of them don't know what it is they don't know that it's going to affect them directly in their dreams of a higher education. And I always say that it is so important to get information because I was at a student one day that didn't know anything about the system. And the more I learned and the more I got involved, I realized that there are ways to fight back. There are ways that we can change that reality, not just complain or sit at home feeling hopeless about our future because there are ways that we can intervene and get involved. But those ways inform people getting you know, empowered with knowing that if they cannot vote, they have somebody that cares for them, a friend, a family member, a neighbor that knows them well and that wasn't the crime. And so we have to activate those people that might think that their vote don't matter but it matters for students like themselves and myself. So it is so important that we share stories that they learn what Proposition 300 is and other laws that affect immigrants in general, and that they learn how to advocate for themselves and have uh, voters participate and be their voice at the polls to change our realities. And then would you say that's the message that you would have for, for not only our community, but um, for the general public uh, when it comes to supporting something like a Proposition 308? Absolutely, absolutely. It's, um, you know, it's being hard. It's being um, immigrants like ourselves figuring out how to go through the process of putting this measure in the ballot. 
I want to mention something about this proposition because Prop 300 has three pieces. So when Republicans in Arizona heard, when they heard that Texas, students in Texas passed in 2001 um, tuition for undocumented students, they say, heck no, this is not going to happen in Arizona. And that's when they started like putting together this proposition, which requires students to show uh, legal status of citizenship in order to qualify for this tuition. But they didn't stop there. They also included a provision where you also had to be a citizen or resident in order to qualify for childcare. So say if I have my children, I mentioned I have three children and if I wanted to go back to school, there is funding in the state for me to have childcare for my, my children, but because I'm undocumented, I cannot have access to that. So in, in return, I cannot go to school because I have to watch my children, right? And then another uh, provision in this, um, in this uh, law is that you cannot have access to adult education. So people who have, they didn't graduate from high school, right? And, and they're looking for a GED program or they're, they graduated from high school, but they wanna go to college. Unless you're a resident or a citizen, you cannot have the tuition that a legal resident or citizen would have. So you have to pay more for these adult education classes, uh, which is devastating for uh, the population that was, um, you know, that's in these situations. Prop 308 covers only uh, students who have lived in the state for two years at least and who have graduated from high school in Arizona. So if I came from, I don't know, Wisconsin. I decided to make Arizona my home, but I didn't graduate here. I cannot benefit from this, which is, I'm pretty sure not a lot of people, um, but adults that have lived here in Arizona for many years, and if they didn't graduate from high school, they cannot um, take benefit of this. So um, it is important to mention that these two populations, these two sectors were left out of this proposition so that we can keep fighting for them. This proposition is great to help young people, but we cannot forget about those who are older or who have children. And the thing is, these changes have to be made through another ballot initiative, which is often hard to, to pass because of the way that the legislature is composed. So um, again, really good. We ask people to support it, but we cannot forget about those who are left behind. And to me, it is so important to, to know that even if we get in-state tuition, tuition in Arizona is not affordable. <laughs> let's, let's get real, right? So I look at places like New Mexico and I say, hey, they pass free tuition for people. You want to get a, high, a college education and you're willing to put the work for it? Let's get you to co through college. That's what we need to be looking for, regardless of status, right? But propositions like 308, it's important to, uh, to pass this. Uh, because it's going to set a precedent for undocumented undocumented students to be able to go to college. And with that, we can more easily pass something through the legislature that includes the population who was left out. So, and then our next step, free tuition for all, and we can have all the students in Arizona join us in that fight. It's a bigger fight and is the next step. And can you, just to clarify, the proposition would affect everyone, right? Not just DACA recipients? Yes, undocumented, this Prop 308 covers DACA recipients and undocumented recipients. So the two requirements is for you to graduate from a high school in Arizona and have lived in Arizona for two years. 
which is awesome. And part of it removes, right, that provision from Prop 300, that section that says that you have to show uh, legal status or citizenship in order to qualify for an estate tuition. So that's what Prop 308 does. I'm glad they heard what we said because uh, they wanted to, in the legislature, what they wanted to do was just to, to revert Prop 300. And we say that's not enough. There has to be something affirmative, something that says that we can go to school, we can go to college, uh, regardless of our status, right? And I'm glad they heard us in that piece. Otherwise, this wouldn't be complete. And that's what Prop 308 does. Well, thank you so much for sharing all of that. Um, I did want to say, is, is there any other piece of information about the legislation or about the ballot initiative or anything else about your story that you find would be important to share with other students that either are maybe listening or who don't really know what their next steps are and maybe they're waiting on the ballot initiative. Is is there any any words that you would like to, to share to them? Yes, I want to say that si se puede, like we, we can make it, like we can do it. If there's a, there's a will, there's a ways, always, always we can find a way to do something. Um, you know, sometimes it might seem like we're defeated or there's the end of the road. You know, but I know that in community, we can continue that road, um, never alone. It's very hard to do it alone. So if students feel lonely and they feel like they don't know what to do, or sometimes they might even think about going back to Mexico, which is another option, you know, but they should explore that option really well before they do it. Because I'm here in Mexico and the situation here is it's really hard. It's it's difficult. And you know, I I, I wouldn't want anyone out of this desperation to just make a decision, a quick decision that is gonna affect the rest of their lives, right? So I'm you know, I, I encourage them if, if they wanna come back because they see that they have a way of going to school here, whatnot. If that's a decision, that's good, but they should get informed about what the real situation is here in Mexico because it's also very tough to me. Again, inviting them to, to really get involved, to find out um, how it was that people like them pass this proposition to be in the ballot so the voters can take a say on it and also share it with their friends and family. Like even if they cannot vote, again, share, 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 share your story, say yes on Prop 308 because it's gonna change the life of many students in Arizona. So, and just to close the interview segment off, do you have any um, plug-in information for, for ADAC or any other program that you're involved in right now? Yes, yes. With ADAC, the Arizona Democratic Coalition, if they need help to renew their DACA, if they need help to apply for scholarships, if they don't have DACA, there are private scholarships that, you know, uh, companies put together or foundations, they want to give them money, even if they are not documented, if they want to go to college, there are ways, there are scholarships. So we give them lists of scholarships and help them through the search, through reviewing their application. So uh, please seek for help. We're many, we're one of uh, some groups that help with that information. So don't think that you're out alone and can't apply. There are private scholarships if you're undocumented. Um, so reach out to us, look, at, look, look us up in our social media or call us in our office at 602. 842-3748-602-842-3748. I think I said it right in English, 602-842-3748. <laughs> 
make the switch, it's like, okay. <laughs> but yeah, just look us up in our, in our Facebook or Instagram and send us a message if you need help. We're there to help uh, people. Those Kutaka, we have a program with a dance pro to go visit your country of origin. And then again, we're doing our civic engagement campaign as well. People want to volunteer. We need to knock on doors. We need to tell people and inform our people about this proposition so that it passes. If there is a student or an adult that wants to, you know, go and get higher education, you know, join us, send us a message so that we can join together and knock on doors and share our story with people so that they can vote and, and make this a reality. Pues muchísimas gracias, Karina. Uh, sumamente orgulloso de ti. Sé que pues fue una batalla agarrar tu, tu licenciatura y pues trabajar y ser mamá. Eh, eres muy, una persona muy inspirante y pues muchas gracias por estar aquí con nosotros. No, gracias a ustedes por todo el trabajo que hacen. Informar a nuestra comunidad es súper importante y qué mejor que venga de voces de nuestra comunidad directamente impactados. All of it. You know, from the beginning to the end, this material is made by immigrants for immigrants. So prompts to all of you. So proud of you all too. Thank you. Gracias, Karina. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. We are now with our second guest, Corina. Corina, how are you doing today? Thanks so much for being on. I'm doing well. Thank you so much for inviting me. Of course. And could you take a second to introduce yourself and tell the audience who you are? Yes, my name is Corina Iribe. And uh, who am I? Um, that's a lot of, it's a loaded question. But um, <laughs> as it pertains to this, I am a DACA recipient living in the state of Arizona. I am an organizer. Um, that has been organizing in the state for over 10 years now. And I'm also a mom. Awesome, thank you. Uh, so our first question is just, can you walk us through your educational journey and how Prop 300 affected that journey? Yeah, of course. So I graduated in 2008 from high school and it was you know, a very difficult time for me because of as many of you, may relate if you're a DACA recipient or undocumented and weren't quite sure, you know, what you were going to do after you graduated. I was in that same situation, just really not knowing what came next for me at that time in 2008. We, uh, and I say we undocumented students um, were being charged out of state tuition rates at all public universities and also at community colleges. And I, you know, really thought that it wasn't going to be an option for me, or I knew it wasn't at that time because I also didn't qualify or we didn't qualify for any merit-based scholarships. I had qualified for a presidential scholarship at my local community college, Historia Community College, but but was unable to accept it because of my status. So what I did was I started going to the college and taking one or two courses at a time that I was paying for out of pocket. And that's what I did for a very long time. You know, I 
at certain points would get discouraged and would drop, you know, or stop taking courses altogether, take a semester here and there off. And then things just got worse. I think we saw a tuition hike happen in one of those years, like in 2010 or 11, that made it even harder. So it's like, I need to just keep doing this so I can continue to get credit, you know, get some courses and get some credit. And I was always very intentional in making sure that I checked in with my advisor every single time that I was going to take a new course to make sure that I was on track to get my associates because I didn't want, you know, I couldn't literally afford to have a class that wasn't going to transfer or wasn't going to be going towards um, my associate's degree. And so I did that for a long time. And then at, in 2010, at the peak of the, the Dream Act fight, I decided to get involved. I was very inspired by other local leaders who were fighting for the Dream Act. And I joined the Arizona Dream Act Coalition at that time, which is a local organization, got involved with the Dream Act fight, and then also started, you know, developing my own skills as an organizer. Uh, in 2013, I launched a campaign called In State for DACA, along with some other students at the local university to push them to be able to grant us in-state tuition. At this, at this point in my own personal journey, I had already transferred to, or was going to transfer into the university. It had taken me, graduated in 2008 from high school, and I didn't make it to the university until 2014. So it was quite a few years that went mm -hmm. by for me to be able to finish my associates by taking just like one or two classes, you know, coming up with that money on my own. And I was lucky enough to have qualified for a scholarship called the Dream US that, you know, at that time was only eligible for DACA recipients. You know, by 2013, I already had my DACA. I passed it and you know, it was introduced in 2012 and I got it. And, but we still had those barriers to education in the state regardless of having DACA. We were being charged at these out-of-state tuition rates. So I got together with a group of folks to really push, you know, the local institutions to grant us in-state tuition. And we did all the things. We you know, had protests, we had meetings, we had all kinds of things that we did. And we were, you know, a, a lot of things happened. There was a legal battle um, but ultimately we were successful and I was able to, you know, help us win in state tuition and that really allowed a scholarship to be able to be extended to more students because now the money was going a you know, further way than it had been previously when they, they were having to add in state tuitions. And we saw an increase of students be able to come to the universities and the public universities in Arizona because of that fight that we that we had and that we won. And then I graduated. I graduated in 2017, either right after or before the state tuition was revoked again because of litigation. So basically it was in the courts. The state was not happy about the institutions granting state tuition to DACA recipients. And now, um, you know, I think we're in, in that same position still. But yeah, it took me over 10 years, close to 10 years to graduate from beginning to end getting my bachelor's degree because of my status. It was just a really long journey, but along the way I was able to 
you know, help uh, fight to be able to give myself more access and other students access as well. That's awesome. I think like, you know, the work that you and other DACA students did has helped, you know, a lot of a lot of us throughout this fight. But, you know, you were in high school when Prop 300 passed and then you know, you, you had graduated after the Supreme Court ruling about not granting in-state tuition for DACA recipients. But both of those things, you know, were kind of similar, removing, removing in-state tuition. So what were the conversations that like you and your peers were having during that time after those two decisions in completely like different years? Yeah, I think, you know, when I first graduated high school in 2008, I didn't really have many peers that were, that identified with my situation. So I lived mm -hmm. in a very uh, rural town and there, you know, at least nobody spoke about being undocumented. And so I didn't have anybody to share with what was going on or how I felt or what we could do about the situation. I kind of just accepted it for what it was. Mm -hmm. And as I became involved in organizing and I met other people that were like me and going through similar situations and having barriers to education, then going through the fight and winning it and then having it taken away again, it was very discouraging. You know, it's one of those moments that you just feel a little bit helpless, but we knew that the only way forward was to continue to advocate for inclusivity. And we also knew that, you know, and for extending access to education, we also knew that at the root of the problem was the proposition, right? Mm -hmm. um, was Prop 308 because of all of this litigation and the institutions granting in state tuition was based on DACA, but it wasn't addressing like the root of the problem, which was Proposition 300. And so those are but there's a bunch of like legal implications, right? Saying that DACA mm -hmm. is giving you a legal status, therefore you're still, you know, undocumented, therefore Prop 300 still applies to you. And so getting rid of Prop 300 or amending it or finding a workaround it legislatively or like policy-wise, at the end of the day, um, it's, it's going to be the solution. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And talking a little bit about like you know those ups and downs like I know when you know I don't have DACA so I remember when like looking at the fight for for in-state for DACA it was just like you all would get tuition then it would get removed and it was just so much back and forth that when the 150% tuition passed like for undocumented students without DACA I think my initial thought was like, oh, this isn't going to last. They were probably going to get it taken away like really soon. Like maybe somebody's going to sue or something's going to happen and it's just not going to last. So how, how was it for all of you to continuously go through all of these up, ups and downs? It's, it was exhausting and it continues to be exhausting. Um, as I hear news in reference to the education fight, even though I'm not a student anymore, mm -hmm. or as I hear all of the news about DACA, it's been 10 years. And so, you know, I remember one of the, one of the times when they reverted it, I think the first time I was just so sick, like literally physically sick that I came home and I threw up. 
because of all of just the being overwhelmed and the anxiety and just the anger I guess all of the feelings that I was feeling it's it's just a really shitty feeling Mm -hmm. again as you mentioned you know we have to get to the root of the problem to avoid like this continuing to happen in the future so in your mind, like, what is your vision of education equity for all students in Arizona? Ideally, we wouldn't have any barriers to education, all students of all, you know, races and backgrounds and immigration statuses. Um, They're giving equitable access, not just access, but equitable access Mm -hmm. to education. And that's, you know, that's going to start with having the same tuition rates for folks at the community colleges and at the universities. I think that there's work that has to be done prior to that, but if we're talking about higher education, starting with the same starting point for folks and then having more accessibility to things that make this those rates equitable, for example, you know, access to scholarships is a big one or other funding mm-hmm. is grants. And ultimately one day I think, yeah, college education should be free to all in state mm-hmm. inclusive uh, vision that I that I think that I would I have. Yeah, hopefully we can get there one day, but you know, just to close off, what would be the message that you would like to share with the audience for them to show support for Proposition 308? Yeah, I think Proposition 308 is really needed in this moment. And it'll allow students, again, to be any Arizona student has graduated from high school here to be able to have that equal access to tuition to, you know, as their peers to a, a public institution, community college. And, you know, it counteracts parts of Prop 300 directly, so it does get to the root of the problem. And I think that that will give us a stability that we haven't seen before um, in this in this fight for education access for undocumented and DACA students. So I encourage folks to vote for this proposition to show their support because it will really make a difference in people's lives. Awesome. Thank you so much, Corina. Is there anything else you would like to add? No. Awesome. Thank you so much. Okay, everybody, we are back with another one of our featured guests. He is Jesus Vasquez, went to school here in Arizona, graduated high school here, but ultimately was not able to get into the program for DACA. And uh, this is one of the reasons that we like to elevate these kind of stories, because we think every student, every graduate from high school is living it up and they were able to get all these opportunities. But now we know that that is absolutely not the case. He has, however, gone on to do great things and more recently graduated from our Fuerte Fellowship and become part of our team, part of our family. And so with that, I'd like to welcome Jesus Vasquez. Jesus, how are you doing today? And first of all, thank you for coming on with us. Absolutely, guys. I'm always happy to be on. And honestly, I'm, I'm, I'm just grateful for the opportunities to be able to share this because I know how 
important it is for for us to really speak up about this. Exactly. And so first of all, can you walk us through your educational journey here? Uh, yeah, so I I was born in Nogales, Sonora, and, and then I came to the U.S. at a very young age. So technically, I started my school here, and I even ended my school here. So I, uh, from kinder all the way to eighth grade, and then through high school. So I graduated from Trevor Brown High School in 2016. Go Bruins. Go Bruins, exactly. <laughs> uh, once a Bruin, always a Bruin. Yes, sir. And, and it's so surprising because um, I ran into now, like, I don't know how many Bruins, uh, and they're like um, much older than me now. Uh, so it's, it's very interesting how uh, we get connected. And I'm like, oh, you're cool, like, because you're a Bruin. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, so after high school, I wanted to do college. But, but then again, I kind of realized the situation that I was in once I was in school, when I was still in school, I was trying to do a lot of things like sports and all of that. I was trying to get involved. And then I kind of figured out like my situation with being undocumented uh, when I really tried to get more involved. So like, uh, like, you know, how schools ask for like permission, like to be on like sports and field trips. And, yeah, yeah. You know, you got to give your, your information to do all those kind of cool stuff. And then it turns out, you know, I didn't have all of that. And so that really kind of put a limit to what I wanted to do with, with school. Like, uh, I felt like I wanted to do it. And then they would be like, oh, you can't do it because of this. So pretty, uh, pretty sad, honestly. <laughs> what year was that? Was it uh, in terms of high school? Uh, was it freshman, sophomore, junior, senior year when you, when you started realizing that there were certain things that you couldn't do? Yeah, no, it was actually still like in middle school, like early middle school, like oh, wow. sixth grade. So when I started realizing stuff like that, and then, and then it only got like even more, more real when I was going to apply to college. There was a day where they got all the students together in, in, in like a, a computer lab. It was a day where like they were going to help everybody apply for scholarships. Mm -hmm. And then next thing you know, it's like, what's your SS number? And I'm like, yeah. Uh, I don't have that. And I, I remember I asked the teacher, like, hey, you know, like, uh, I need help with this. <laughs> and then she was like, oh, well, yeah, you don't have one. I was like, no, I don't. She's like, okay, then just, just, uh, just hang out here. And I'm like, okay. <laughs> so that was pretty much it. And so, you know, I knew that, that even being undocumented, though, you could still apply to it. Mm -hmm. However, there was no help. There was no, like, resources. It was just like, you know, if you could apply to college, go ahead. And if you could apply to scholarships, even better. But, you know, that wasn't the case for me. So I definitely put that to the side. And, and then after that, I kind of just went into the workforce, you know, started doing jobs, you know, that like high schoolers usually have, like working in restaurants and the restaurant industry. I also worked uh, part of with my dad's company. He does flooring. He does all of those uh, stuff. And then yeah, so pretty much I just kind of developed my own entrepreneurship through that mm -hmm. because I learned, I would work closely with all, like owners of, of their businesses and I would help them out. So pretty much I got a lot of experience through that, uh, through helping out people in that manner. For, uh, I remember my journey, 
I knew about being un, uh, me being undocumented from early on, but I didn't know the limitations until I actually got to high school. You having found out in middle school, did that change the way you approached high school at all? Or is it like full on? I still want to get straight A's. I still want to do my best. How was it for you walking into high school knowing you had those limitations? Yeah, no. So I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. I'm just speaking for myself because honestly, I would always like I like school, mm-hmm. but in a way, like I didn't. Like I, I had this like weird relationship with school. And I'm not trying to boast or anything, but I would get a lot of good scores on, on my tests and all of that. And I would always be like kind of top of the class. Yeah. Uh, top of the morning. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Like the, I would always be in that section. And, and honestly, I, I never really quit school. My grades were honestly really great. But when I would be going through something at home, you know, obviously you could tell with my grades, like uh, my teachers could, could tell like something was going on. So, yeah, I mean, like, it didn't stop me from from achieving A's or B's, you know, it was just like, I would just get into it, really, I would be like, I like school, but I don't like it. And I don't, I kind of didn't really like going to school at all. But I mean, I knew that in order for me to personally grow and have a profession, yeah, you do need school and all that. So I knew I was able to, to get through that. And, and definitely, though, like with the with the encouragement and the support of teachers and, and, and schools, you know, I got a very good education in a way. After you, after you graduated high school, uh, did you attempt to go to either community college university or apply to certain scholarships or did you just go straight into the workforce? Like you said, yeah, I went straight into the workforce and uh, I honestly, I tried to get way more information about like how school works because I knew like you were going to like either get in debt or you're going to get like a, a full ride on like scholarship. And and honestly, I was kind of like thinking about it. I was like, well, you know, I could go to school. I could try to push for my education. But honestly, I didn't know what to do. I did not have an idea. And, and I, I preferred just trying to figure it out first before I went in there and I kind of like didn't have a direction to it. So, um, yeah, I mean, like when I figured it out, honestly, it was probably like a year ago (laughs) what I really wanted to do. So I think it's tough, especially for young students who are actually about to step into the workforce, you know, in the real world that we get pressured a lot to think about what we want to do. And sometimes the the stark reality of reaching those goals that we want to accomplish, we kind of get a reality check. Like, oh my God, it's school is so much. I have to work. And then not only that, I mean, any circumstance you're under, I mean, people go through a lot of things, but ultimately like when we try to reach for our goals, we're not really fully prepared. So I always like to be fully prepared with what I'm doing. And, and like I said, I literally just figured out what I wanted to do a year ago. Yeah, I mean, like even for for those students that are not undocumented, we have we we see it every day, 18 year olds, 19 year olds going into college thinking they, okay, I'm full on, want to be a doctor, I want to be a lawyer, I want to be this, I want to be a businessman. And then like after a year, either switch majors or something like they find out that that's not what they want to do. And they're able to like have the privilege like, okay, and this is a year that I'm not going to do anything. So I'll just start over. And it's like nothing to them. And now to have the added pressure 
to know that, okay, you're going to go all in with all of this money into this field when you don't know whether or not that's your future. Yeah. And, and so like, I mean, it is okay to always change your mind and it's okay to have your choices, you know, have something, at least have an idea because I know everybody has like those, those ambitions, like I want to do this and I want to do that. But then they're also like, uh, I want to be a doctor. I want to be a teacher. I want to have like a more of a, I guess, like a, a profession, like a real stark job, but really honestly, like tap into yourself and ask yourself, like, what do you want to do? And, and, and it does take a lot of patience and work. So, so, I mean, not, like, don't give up, you know what I mean? And now speaking of don't give up. And if I could get a little personal with you, Jesus, uh, what was it like for you seeing DACA come on and seeing a lot of people celebrate, like my, myself included, I think most of us in the community celebrating that some of our students were going to be able to get this opportunity to keep going to school, to work, to get driver's licenses. And so can you walk me through your experience of seeing all that, but like kind of seeing it from the outside because you didn't qualify to get into the program? Yeah. So I, I heard about it while I was in school. And then even then, like, I know like whoever could be listening, um, you could be like, well, uh, you know, that was like 10 years ago. What happened? Why didn't you apply? No, I did apply. I applied twice, actually. <laughs> and so, but those two times, um, DACA was rescinded. And, you know, one in 2017, the other one last year. So, so yeah, I mean, when, especially when you have those, um, those goals, those ambitions to continue with your education, when you're trying to actually push for an education and you're not somebody that like, is like saying like, oh, I'm just going to go to school. I'm just going to graduate and try to look for a nine to five. It's like, no, uh, for me, it's like I wanted to get an education. I wanted to do like business, either like banking or, you know, accounting, something like that. And and no, it's like different for me because it's like you get those barriers put up. And that's when those barriers start coming up in your yeah. life. You can't apply to this because you don't have that social security. Okay, well, like I still want to work. I still need to work in a way right make make ends meet so then you start looking for jobs and everyone is e-verify you need your social this and that you kind of have to do the best you can and you still got to figure it out yeah, that's kind of how it is and i like that you touch on that because most people when they think of daca where they think of like the the dream act or something right away everything goes to education like going to college gain scholarships everything like that but the other the other side of the coin is that for those people that just want to work, that just, just want to drive, that just want to live, rent an apartment, like live their lives and try to like, like you said, get a nine to five if that's what they want to do. So for those people that were not able to do that, and I see you and your work ethic well, throughout your whole fellowship here with Fuerte and like continue to work at it in different venues, pulling out your LLCs, like pretty much doing it on your own. Uh, what advice do you have for those kind of people? For the people who are like trying to do it on their own. Yes, for the yeah, for, yeah, for for the people that like were not able to that that think that because they couldn't get DACA that that's the end of the road, and you're living proof that it's not. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, like, uh, for for, I mean, I don't know, <laughs> I could touch so many sections with this because first of all, being undocumented, being from a, a a you know Mexican Latin roots family or culture. It's just so unrooted into us that we have to go to school. Yeah. We have to do this. We have to do that. We have to, 
uh, you know, like either marry somebody, you know. And, 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 and I don't know about you, but in my family, they're like, they only know two professions. Que vas a ser ingeniero o abogado. Oh, abogado. That's it. Like that, they, they, it's like, they, that's the only two professions that, that like get recommended to us. Oh, and I feel like, you know, don't forget about traditions, right? But we're living in a completely different world than we were 10 years ago. Oh, yeah. To be honest. And so many professions, so many other careers have popped up that you don't really know about. That's the thing we, we know about, like, oh, being a teacher, being a doctor, being a lawyer, being this and that. But we don't really know about the other things that are happening in the world, the other jobs that are actually needed that could actually, you know, actually satisfy you in a way and it could actually develop you as a person. But my advice would be to somebody who is who doesn't just want to go to school and do all of that, you know, really like get involved, uh, research on what you want to do. And honestly, don't be afraid of actually talking to people and, you know, giving back, giving your time to, to actually um, help people out. Because that's what I've been doing uh, for these past years is I've been helping out a lot of people and giving a lot of support. I've been giving it like my effort to be able to learn about business and learn about how to talk to people um, and get the experience too. Because I heard, <laughs> I heard that even when you're in college, when you go to school, they still ask for experience, but they don't ask for like the schooling, I guess, like what's the point of going to school for years? And then they end up asking you, well, do you have experience? I do not, I, all I did was go to school. Okay, then sorry, we can't hire you. <laughs> Yeah, that's a big dilemma that a lot of college graduates, like the, the whole two years experience, like I just got out of school and everyone that has that experience requires that experience. It's yeah. like a, I, 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 I totally see that uh, that kind of barrier that that those college students face. And but here you are getting experience. So like uh, you want to talk a little bit about what you're doing right now? Yeah, so it, it's been it's been a, a, a ride, honestly, for these past two years. And, and that was when I really decided, like, you know what, I'm just going to really tap into myself. I'm going to try to do what I want to do because, because I was still in the same place I was for, like, three years. Mm -hmm. And then that's when I, I, I turned, like, 23. I was like, do I want to be here another year? And then I decided, like, no, like, I don't want to be here uh, another year. You know, I really want to change this. I want to, I want to do something I, I want to like be happy about. And, and honestly, yeah, like being in the restaurant industry and doing jobs for other people sometimes isn't satisfying. Like, like it's tough for, for someone like, I guess like me to feel like that because then I feel like, well, I want to go to school, I actually want to do stuff like, but then again, I don't have my documents. How am I going to get paid? How am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? So so yeah, like I decided two years ago to actually do my own journey. And then um, I got involved with the Arizona Dream Act Coalition uh, with Karina Risa Diaz. And then she actually helped me um, understand a little bit more about what is really going on with this whole DACA and the school, uh, all these attacks on the community because it, it honestly it has been happening for so long. And I'm surprised that it keeps happening. So we just got to keep fighting back, right? And then after that, got an opportunity with Fuerte Arts Movement. And then it was because I met 
you daniel right in dc we went to dc yeah. yeah that was like the godless was on that trip yeah <laughs> yeah and then we i remember we talked about what we were doing and how we felt about certain things and then we just started sharing more about like uh what what you were doing because i was like so interested i was like what are you doing <laughs> i see i i would see you with your roadcaster and i'd be like oh my god that's so cool you actually do podcasts because i like podcasts you know yeah and then after that you know you helped me actually get on board with fuerte and then fuerte really did help me uh, get connected with the technological side of the arts and production and all of that so i got to really learn hands-on like what is required and the processes and all of that and then now the contract that i had with fuerte ended now i got connected with frecuencia alterna radio and then frecuencia alterna is a completely different thing yeah <laughs> so pretty much just jumping to another thing and yeah so now i have that experience of doing production i guess on a on a certain level and then now i'm now i i'm feel like i'm stepping into another yeah, of course. And uh, and for those of you that don't know, on most of uh, Frequencia Alterna shows, Jesus is actually the live uh, sound engineer behind the mic. So uh, that is uh, leaps and bounds ahead of when you first walk through the door and and like we're learning about this the for the first time. And that's something that I know I've told you in the past, but I'm super proud of what you've accomplished in these past few months. Uh, it is like pretty much you've done in these past few months what I what it took me a couple of years to get to this point. So, I mean, like, like I said, it's, it's not a joke when I say that you're living proof that you can make it happen. Thank you so much, honestly. And I know whoever is probably listening, they're probably thinking like, oh, this guy probably, you know, was getting paid and, and, and you know, was getting, um, you know, making friends and like, no, it, it, I literally put my time into it. I had my free time. And then there was times where I didn't, and but I still had the ambition to put my time into it and to help out, to give back uh, my time and really support those who actually believe in me. No, of course. Because <laughs> you need, I feel like you need that. You need people around you that are going to support you, that they actually, that you feel like they believe in you. Don't, don't, don't go with those people that say that they believe in you, but you feel like, they're not there like they don't show up or actions don't reflect them. yeah so that's what I, I i like about what i started doing that too is surrounding me with people that that are actually doing something for their community they're very honest they're very nice and th that's what i did because i mean you know you don't realize it sometimes but the people around you aren't really there to help you out and they're not really there to support you because when you say something and they're like yeah, like they kind of don't pay attention to it. I mean, it's all right. It happens. But yeah, I mean, that's kind of what the experience I've been going through is just like, you know, there is people that I was surprised that were believing in me. <laughs> and then that really inspired me to just keep going to just keep, keep, keep at it. And even though like I didn't go to college, I do want to go to college now because I, like I said, I have an idea of what I want to do now. Now you have a direction. Yeah. Now I have a direction and it was luckily to the help of people that have been in my life and have been supporting me yeah so i know for for me growing up the topic of being undocumented or just documents all around was kind of taboo that i shouldn't talk about i shouldn't tell people jesus why do you think it's important to have conversations like this for them to hear especially in this time of unprecedented events against undocumented immigrants living in arizona i think it's a very generational thing 
I know like the, the fight that has been going on for like the past decade and, and plus people don't realize how how much this affects you know like the community like and I'm saying the community is like the people around you the people you work with mm-hmm. the people who look like you the people who speak the same language as you and we kind of don't see it like oh you're my you know you're my like you're my friend like that in a way you know it's like we don't really build community on that and I feel like that is very important because whenever you try to do something, you know, you have support, but it's like, it's not fully there. So uh, it's important to discuss this because, you know, I want someone to hear this and be like, oh, you know what? I'm actually going through the same thing too. And like, there is an end to it and and you just got to keep pushing, you know, you got to keep talking about it, Uh, share your story, especially if you are undocumented and still fighting for what you want because in the end it's it's not like you're really being told what to do things happen to you all the time especially being undocumented and you know you're still trying (laughs) your best to live in the U.S. but yeah I mean and then also too like if you actually you know grew grew up here in in Arizona uh, this is all you really know like this is all you know so yeah I mean I, I honestly I consider myself like like an American but I also consider myself Mexican too. And I'm proud. I'm proud of, to be Mexican. And then, you know, I'm also proud to, to be an American as well. But however, I'm not considered an American, like on paper. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, the attacks on the undocumented community are going to keep happening and we cannot just stay with our arms crossed, you know. Yes. And especially right now, Prop 308 would be such a game changer. Uh, for for people like me, people like you, uh, we all know somebody or we are somebody that this is going to affect. Uh, so before I let you go, Jesus, any final messaging, anything that people that you would like to share to in, in support of Prop 308? Yes. Yeah, so uh, I think it's important that this passes because I remember I was canvassing one time and and then uh, this individual, we knocked on his door he, and he was like, well, um, he, I, I guess he had a misconception that like tuition, you know, should be no that he, no. He said uh, tuition is actually uh, going to be free for undocumented immigrants, and he's like, why should it be free for someone who's undocumented, um, and and rather someone who is a U.S. Uh, citizen? How come they don't get it? And I was like, no, like we're just trying to make it equal. We're trying to make it like so anyone who wants to go to school should go to school and receive the same tuition. So, so yeah, I mean, the thing here is that we're trying to make this as equal as possible and any misconceptions that like we're taking jobs, we're doing this and that, we're, we're getting a free ride. No, that's not true. I don't get a free ride. I haven't gotten a free ride at all, Right. but yeah, I'm still pushing and I'm still going to be pushing. So yeah, um, I'm just trying to say, you know, don't give up. Don't listen to other people, but really listen to yourself, like really um, support yourself, uh, encourage yourself, uh, tell yourself good things, because that's what really keeps you going. And especially for like these past two years, uh, I mean, with the whole COVID uh, and then now we're like in a looming recession and all of that, Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. I mean, you hear everything all the time now, but don't listen to that sometimes. That's not going to take you to a good place you know listen to yourself listen to your family too even though sometimes uh, that could be bad but also you know that's where you tap into yourself more and 
you, you get connected uh, with what's really going on around you. Yeah. Fact check your family pretty much. Yeah. That, and I, that's, that's something that I have to do on a regular basis. <laughs> uh, but Jesus, uh, I want to thank you for your time and thank you for your story, for, for being here and for especially all the work that you've been doing. Uh, and I hope you continue to be an inspiration to people around you and uh, people look at you like, man, I can do that too. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to be like, <laughs> uh, you know, anybody can make it despite your background. Your, you know, it's just like, if you really uh, put the work into it, and you're nice and 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 you uh you know you are grateful too uh that you can anything can happen honestly all right thank you jesus so much and i uh, hope to have you back real real soon absolutely We are back. We have right now our fourth guest, which is Darlene Peralta. Darlene, thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm doing really good. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much. Um, so as we've been talking about throughout this episode, we've kind of had a timeline of, you know, undocumented folks who have been affected by Proposition 300. Um, so first of all, if you can just introduce yourself, like who you are, um, what do you do? Yes. Hi, everyone. My name is Jolene Peralta. I use she, her, Eja pronouns, and I'm in my freshman year of Pima Community College, and I'm a student fellow with Scholarships A3C. Awesome. So can you talk to us a little bit about your educational journey and how Prop 300 affected it? Yes, so I graduated in 2018 and I didn't attend college until three years after. It's just because I really could not afford it and I didn't even know if I could go or not because just like the resources in my high school. Now that I didn't have any, I knew there were people that I could reach out to, but I just didn't feel comfortable like reaching out to anyone. And it was a very like insulated like problem I thought I had until you know I started talking to people and I realized there's so many people like me and like just like sharing like my status kind of helped me gain those resources but yes I didn't go to school until like three years after and it's because it was just really expensive even to go to Pima mm -hmm. like on average like per semester I'm paying like around five thousand dollars at oh, Pima wow. yeah so but it's like cheaper than going to university Mm hmm. Yeah. And then during high school, did you like know other undocumented people or was it kind of after you graduated? No, I did not know any. It was like after I graduated. I think it was like the last day of high school that like I like I knew someone and she was like the mm -hmm. she wasn't a valedictorian, but she was like the one right after the valedictorian. And I was just talking to her. And that's when we both like we're talking about how we're undocumented we didn't know what we were going to do. But no, like during high school, I did not know any. Yeah, I feel like I had a similar experience. Like I, well, I knew some people, but it wasn't until after high school when like I found out that there were so, so like more, so, so many more. Like I remember I was like counting with my fingers and I'm like, dang, this is way too many people. <laughs> yeah. Yes, like, and then I started with scholarships A through C and we started with her in UE. And I have a bunch mm -hmm. of like all like classmates that are in UE. 
and really? yes and then like I talked to him about it and they were like dude like I went to my counselor Choya and like they didn't know how to help me they're like since like I told them I didn't have a social they told me mm-hmm. they couldn't help me and I was like like I was like yeah it's like crazy and like I had been friends with her since like middle school and I did not know this like how do you think that your journey could have been different if like the counselors were able to provide you with the resources I think that if like it was more talked about in my school and like normalized it would have been a lot better like if like I think we talk about how like teachers like when filling out FASA I think we need to be more like like advocate for undocumented students and talk about like like if you can't fill out FASA then these are your options like they don't Mm -hmm. need to like directly talk to the students they can just talk about it in their class and educate other students while supporting undocumented students I think if that would like happen at my school I would have felt a lot more comfortable going to my counselors and like finding resources yeah and I feel like that would also allow like students to feel comfortable enough to share it with each other yes and then you mentioned like scholarships, AC, and then a program, UE. Can you talk a little bit about like what that program is? Yes, UE is the Undocumented Empowerment Initiative. UE, Undocumented, Undocumented Youth, youth yeah. Empowerment <laughs> Initiative. I knew I was missing a letter. And it's open to undocumented youth in Arizona. And it's a series of workshops. Uh, and we talk about a college but not only college we also talk about like just like pathways after high school for undocumented mm-hmm. students like how like what can we do like how can we get a job like can we go to college like things like that and I had a lot of like my old classmates joined as well just because they're looking like maybe to get fellowship opportunities or to like get back to school uh so it has really helped them and me like grow as a person mm-hmm. and and like I'm able to like speak up about my status now and advocate for myself yeah that's awesome and then full disclosure Darlene and I actually work <laughs> together at Scholarship AZ and I think one of our first workshops was talking about scholarships right um and we talked about Proposition 300 and I remember we asked everyone like in the chat like oh who knows what Proposition 300 is and a lot of people didn't know. And I yeah. think for me, it was just very shocking. But at the same time, me, myself, like I didn't know about it during high school. But that just goes to show like the lack of resources we receive um, all throughout the state. Yes, because it's a, it's a big thing that literally affected like every single undocumented like youth in Arizona. And it's crazy mm-hmm. that, like, I, like, it was not talked about in school. Like, it was really something that you had to, like, research when you were applying to colleges. And that's how you came about it. Mm-hmm. No, yeah. And then I think a lot of people don't talk about how, like, just mentally draining doing that research on your own can be. Like, how, how was your experience since you mentioned that, you know, you didn't really have that support from, like, school staff? Like, how was finding a, finding and doing all this research on your own? Well, like right after I graduated high school, I kind of did a little bit of research, but I kind of felt like really disheartened. Like I didn't, like I felt 
like it was an opportunity like I could reach out like I could obtain because it was just so expensive like I wasn't getting in-state tuition and I just and like I didn't prepare that year so I didn't like like gain scholarships or anything like that so I would have had to gone like my freshman year fresh out of high school like everything out of pocket and like my family just couldn't afford that so I just started working saving up a little bit of money because I knew my like my first semester was gonna be like four thousand dollars so I knew I had to save up a bit because like not only did I have like the school expenses I've also had like the life expenses like I still needed to like live yeah um and doing like the like the research like I just I was just like one day I was like you know what I'm gonna go to school I'm just gonna apply to like Pima and like uh I just like did it <laughs> and like I was but I was fortunate enough to have that money save up so mm-hmm. I could like do the first payment and then like be able to get like scholarships through the way and it did take me three years um because of like the out-of-state tuition mm-hmm. so do you think I mean looking now um you know proposition 308 is going to be on the ballot in November if that were to pass how would it affect like your future journey I oh my god I think we get like 10 times easier like way easier especially like talking about like transferring to like university from Pima It'll make it like so because I'm basically paying like university prices at a yeah. community college and I was talking to my friend about it and she wrote just on her about like my statements and stuff and she told me like during her time at Pima she only paid $500 and I was telling her that's crazy because like I haven't even paid only $500 for a class like mm-hmm. a class would be like $800 so it's crazy that like her entire time at Pima she only paid $500 yeah it's insane like I remember I had this this friend you know who was getting financial aid and everything and she was getting like like checks back so she was getting paid to go to school basically because her financial aid covered tuition and there was like leftover and I was like wow like you're one like your full semester at a community college is my like uh payment for just one class yes that's like I was shocked. I was so shocked. And she was also getting money back from like financial aid. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's just like, it's, it was just like a, it was like a crazy realization for her. And then it was like, I took in a moment to educate her about prop, of the new proposition. And I was like, yeah, you need to go out there and vote because like, <laughs> your friends are paying like these crazy prices. Yeah. Are you thinking, well, Darlene is in Tucson. Are you thinking of you know, transferring to U of A or like, have you thought about where you would like to transfer? Yes. Well, I have a dream <laughs> and I will see if I get there. I really want to go to Smith College, but it uh-huh. is out of state. So I really do have to take in account like the immigration laws in Massachusetts and mm-hmm. like how much it would cost. So I really need to re- do my research before I even think about that. But I think my more logical for me would be going to the U of A since my family lives here. I wouldn't have to pay like room and or like food or anything. Uh-huh. Yeah, but it's still really expensive to go to the U of A. And there's like a, when leaving at Pima, like there's a lot of like merit scholarships that you can get, but like a lot of undocumented students don't apply to them. Like you, they can't apply. So it'd be the same mm-hmm. at the U of A. Like there's a 
my resources would still be limited. Do you think that people don't apply to the Pima ones just because like they're not aware that they exist? No, because I think some of them, like, since they're funded, they're, like, funded by the government, you can't even apply to them. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, but there is some at Pima that you can apply to. I think they, sh- like, they could do a better job by, like, kind of, like, advocating that they're open to, like, undocumented students, though. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there is some available. Yeah, I think, yeah, at Scholarships AC, we do talk a lot about that, like, how scholarships can be made more accessible to students. Um, Like just not putting that you need to be a citizen, like not having a GPA and like all these things. And I think if Prop 3 were to pass, you know, school is still super expensive. So we're still gonna need scholarships. It's not just because we have in-state tuition now means that like everything is solved. Like we still have to pay for school. Yeah, so just be a little bit more accessible. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. instead of paying, like, 5000 per semester at Pima, it'd be normal prices and not, like, this crazy inflation. But, yeah, like, even, like, the scholarships that are available, like, I think there was just one, like, the Mexican Council does one. But they do it, like, based off your GPA. So people with the higher GPA are more likely to get it. But, it, like, I feel like the GPA thing is crazy because, like, students, like, Undocumented students, especially, they not only have to deal with, like, just going to school, like, some of them have to deal with, like, working a job in order to pay for school. Mm-hmm. It's so expensive. Yeah, it's it's insane. And I mean, hopefully, you know, we get to a point where, you know, Prop 3 happens, and then we also just have more scholarships, opening up opportunities. But yes. Just to close off, is there any message that you would like to share with the audience to show like support for Proposition 308? Okay, since so like, this is, let me think about this. <laughs> okay. <laughs> hmm. I think that like all these undocumented youth, a lot of them, like I didn't even talk to, like I didn't even know a lot of my classmates were undocumented, but like I grew up with them. And I grew up with all like my citizen friends too. And it was really crazy. Like when we got into higher education and we really saw like the limitations like that were put on documented students, even though like we all went through like the same education, had the same teachers, like had like really similar GPAs. It's crazy how some of us were able to get like really advance really quickly in higher education to com- compare to some of other ones even though we had like a lot of the same dreams mm-hmm. um, and a lot of it had to do because like the tuition was so high and the resources like were not openly available or talked about in my school I think hopefully like sharing our story people start seeing the differences and like get on the same boat that you know we need to vote for this proposition so these things don't keep happening in the future Yes. Oh, for sure. All right, well, thank you so much, Darlene. We really appreciate your time. And yeah, maybe we'll we'll check in after November with all of the guests you included to talk about how the proposition passed and we can we can do some celebration. <laughs> yes, thank you for having me. I'll see you back in November celebrating. Manifesting. Yes. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you, Darlene. Have a good day. Thank you.
Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for staying with us here as we discuss the positive effects that come, come from Proposition 38. We've heard some very exciting stories about past students, current students, and, you know, people trying to make the best with what they've been given in this life, in this country that's supposed to be a country with liberty for all. So and and as we continue here, we look to the future and most people will always say, of course, kids are the future, our students are the future, but no one really takes into account what they need to do in order to be successful, in order to become what people around them want them to become. And to that, we look to our youth. So today I welcome Sarai Duenas. She goes to a local high school here in Arizona, and she is per currently preparing to go into her senior year of high school. Very exciting year for most people. But of course, some of us that went through um, this this process know that it is a year full of uncertainty about the future. So Sarai, welcome and thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today. Hi, yeah, no problem. So, Sarai, first of all, I'd like to ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? Like, what, what, what was it like for you growing up through elementary and middle school before getting into high school? Yes. So, I was born in uh, Mexico, in Sinaloa, and I came here when I was two. So, I honestly don't know anything about Mexico. I don't remember anything. And I was basically raised here. And my first language was Spanish, so my brother helped me um, learn English. And growing up, in, I went to my local school. I went to, I believe, preschool first. And it was kind of rough for me because I, the only language I knew how to speak was Spanish. And... I had to communicate in English, of course, but I got through it, and then I went to middle school. I did my best to get good grades because I was always raised with my parents telling me to always have good grades. And yes, I struggled in some subjects, but I think everyone struggles. And when I got to high school, the school I'm going to is, I really love that school. It helps me a lot with my my education, my teachers, and I, since I'm growing, I'm getting older, I really want to, you know, explore and, you know, travel, but now that my parents are telling me that I really can't do much since I'm undocumented, and since I wasn't born here, I have limits, and since I have to look into college, it's kind of hard because it's forcing me to get really grind and do good this year because that's what will focus on me to go to college and I just have to do my best so hopefully this proposition can go through so I can get many opportunities as those who are documented can. Yes, definitely. And hearing your story right now, it, it, it like it gives me flashbacks to my own. It's there's a lot of parallels to how I grew up. And, you know, it being 10, 15 and 20 years later, it's it's un unbelievable to me that students are still going through this kind of struggle for the simplest thing. You mentioned that your brother mm -hmm. was the one that helped you speak English. Uh, is he your only yes. is he your only brother? How many siblings do you have? I well, that was my older brother and I have a younger sibling, but he was born here. 
And it's just me and my older brother that weren't born here. So by the time the youngest one, everybody spoke English. So you rate kind of easier for them to learn. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, fu- I fully get that. And uh, your brother, was he able to graduate as well or, or what was his story? Um, yes, he graduated. And it was a little bit more harder for him because he came to the U.S. when he was about, I think, uh, in middle school. So he actually had to get some extra help for, him right. teaching, for the teachers to teach him English. But he got through it. Yeah, he graduated high school. Okay, that's awesome to hear. Sarai, yeah. for, my, for me and my story, as I've told earlier in this podcast, is I knew that I would, that there was something different about my situation than other students, and it didn't really mm-hmm. set in until around sophomore, junior year of high school, yeah. where other, other mm-hmm. kids start looking at scholarships and everything like that, and that's when it really yes. hit me. So when, when was it that moment for you that, that you knew there was something different about you and that you were going to have to take maybe a different path? So I actually started looking into careers because my counselor was telling me, oh, what do you want to do, you know, after high school? And this was my junior year, so uh, last year. And I was actually interested in being in the Air Force. And I, there's some colleges that went to my high school and they were telling me about the Air Force. And I was really interested into that. I actually wanted to be in the Air Force. but I looked into their, their requirements and you have to be a U.S. citizen. And so that kind of brought me down a little bit because I wanted to, I wanted to be in the Air Force. But Oh, oh my God, it's like another parallel because to me, what yeah. sunk in was exactly those recruiters, but it was for the Navy for me. And of course, they come oh. in and, and they let you know you can mm-hmm. do this, this and this and this. But yeah, I, same situation. I thought this was going to be my ticket to to be able to go to college and do something. But uh, but mm-hmm. no, like it was the same thing. You need those that little social security number. Yeah, as well as you know, all my friends were getting their their permits, their jobs, and I was excited because like I wanted to get my job. You know, my parents are kind of struggling financially. And I wanted to help them out. And I was going into this little preschool to help out. And she was like, yeah, come on, join us. You know, you can work and we'll pay you. And I was like, okay, perfect. Until she was like, oh, you need a social security. And I was like, oh, dang, I don't have that. (laughs) So it was kind of rough. But right now I just want to, you know, study, do good this year. And so hopefully I can go to a college nearby at least a community college. So it can be, it helps with mm-hmm. a bunch of stuff that I'm interested in. So. Yes, of course. Going into right now, your senior year, so people, most students going in, they're of course thinking senior prom, they're thinking graduation, they're thinking about their trips mm-hmm. with their friends. What is going through yes. your mind going in as a senior undocumented student? Well, I just want to do good. This year, you know, I have good grades, although I'm kind of struggling right now with getting my head focused. But right now, honestly, it's, you know, doing sports as well, because you can also get scholarships and doing sports. Right now, I'm going to, I am going to do cheer. Uh, I did cheer last year and then I do also softball. So, okay. Well, another thing that, I have opened my eyes into is being a paramedic because I really ha- like helping out people and, you know, 
bringing the best in people. And so I'm kind of looking into that career. And honestly, it's just, you know, keeping my head focused and, you know, having good grades right now because I don't have as much as opportunities as people and kids that are documented. Of course. And we are focusing this episode on Prop 308, something that could help a lot of students out if it passes, when it passes. And one of the first things, uh, especially in in, uh, in my time during school, after I have graduated high school, but um, that was still considering the college option, was DACA. Now, when you first heard of DACA, of course, it, it, it was probably like, oh, this might be a godsend or anything. But as I understand, yes. you were not able to qualify for the program. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah. So my mom actually works in that area. And she was like, oh, you can be able to apply uh, for DACA. And I was like, okay, that's good. You know, I can get my work permit. I can get my social security and my, my driver's license and all of that. But she told me that one of the judges in texas actually like stopped the whole process and so that was kind of a bummer because i was really looking forward to getting all these opportunities open and then that happens do you have other friends that were able to get in before it got stopped or do you know people that currently have daca my brother actually got through daca because he's right now i, I believe like 24 and you know, he got through the whole process of DACA and actually helped him. He was, you know, working and it gave him a lot of opportunities as well. But there's also um, my friend also, the process also stopped for her and she couldn't get through as well as me. And of course, being in uh, also doesn't guarantee the renewals and everything that goes on with it. So there's definitely a lot of flaws with the DACA program to you as a student and as a person. What would Proposition 308 mean for you? It would honestly help me a lot and it would help other students and kids that are as well as my age going through the same thing as me. It would also help my parents a lot because I know a lot of people aren't financially stable and a lot of parents are trying their best to help their kids get into a good college, into a good career. And it's kind of difficult because, you know, all the prices are going up and everything. So yep. it's there it's even a harder struggle and so with that proposition it would really help a lot and it would benefit me as well as all these a uh, bunch of other kids that are also going through the same position as me and it would just help me financially with college and you know having a good stable career that would definitely help and it would definitely help us out to have another paramedic out there helping out people. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Is, is, is that still the, is that still the goal right now or, or any other orientation you might be leaning towards if you get this chance to go to college? Well, I really like, you know, uh, what paramedics do, you know, they're uh, first responders and I really look up to first responders because they're, that's the first thing, you know, when people call like 911 or firefighters, they're really important to the community. And I really want to be that, you know, I want to be um, making differences in people's lives and, you know, putting smiles on people's faces. And that would really make my day so much better. Yeah. So right now my goal is hopefully go into um, nursing school or anything that would help me into becoming a paramedic. Yes, definitely. 
So yes. so right now, while you're waiting for this uh, for this decision to happen with Prop 308, what is yes. the what is the immediate plan for high school for for your senior year? Right now, well, obviously get good grades, but also apply for scholarships as well. You know, even though it may be little, but I've heard my counselor always tell me, you know, there's a bunch of opportunities for kids like me. And so definitely apply for scholarships. There's so many opportunities here in the U.S. that a lot of kids don't have in in other countries. So definitely do good, you know, be involved in my school and, you know, have good grades, be a role model and hopefully that can do something with my future. Yes, and I'm so glad that you said that because that's exactly where I was going with this. All these years ago, 10, 15 years ago, when I, I actually graduated in twenty in 2009. And at that yeah. time, there were scholarships, there were grants, there were certain things available for yeah. undocumented students, but I knew nothing about that. My family knew nothing about that. They were all first generation. I was first generation. And there was yes. just the, the resources were there, but it was not openly available to the knowledge was not there to the public and i definitely want to let everybody that was in my shoes that are currently in your shoes that know somebody that is in in the shoes of uh, being undocumented waiting for this decision and not knowing what their future is there definitely is help out there you can log on to fuerte.org or any of our partner organizations a lot of them help out students exactly like you to find the money out there to send them to school because the help is there we just need to keep on going and and not give up what we're trying to do yes Sarai, i want to thank you for coming on and sharing your story is there anything else that you would like to share any final thoughts to students that may be listening and like maybe thinking about giving up because to be completely honest that's what i did when i was a senior I i said as long as I graduate, I'll be the first uh, in my family. Me and my cousin graduated the yes. same year. We were the first ones to get the diploma, and that is enough. Start working, yes. just whatever, and I had given up completely on education. What can we say to students to let them know that there is a future? Yes, well, um, definitely uh, don't give up. There is plenty of help, plenty of opportunities. You know, you're not, you may not be the only one going through this situation as well, so definitely don't give up there is a bunch of other role models and people that work in the government work in that have become great successful people and they've come with the same background as us which you know they became here undocumented and that shouldn't give you a right to give up you know because there's definitely plenty of more things to do here than being anywhere else and you know i'm grateful for my parents bringing me here when i was young you know i don't regret it at all and i'm so grateful for my parents and definitely just keep going don't give up you know i'm a senior i'm honestly done with high school i don't want to be in high school anymore (laughs) i just want to i just want to graduate and get it over with but you know, I have to keep going. I have to keep fighting. I really want to make my parents proud. And I'm sure there's a bunch of other kids there that also want to make their parents proud as well. So definitely don't give up. There's plenty of help here. You know, you just have to keep searching, keep looking. Um, But definitely don't give up. And as well, also, I want to comment that, you know, 
there's a future waiting for us out there. And if you want to be someone great in the world, you have to put in the hard work in and you have to put in the success because, you know, you can't just, you know, sit there and let the success come to you. You know, you have to keep working hard and you'll find out when, once you work hard, you'll be like, wow, I did all this work and made my parents proud. And that's what I want. Unbelievable. I could not have put it better myself. Thank you so much, Sarai. We yeah, hear, no problem. Yeah, we here at the podcast and uh, and everywhere listening. We are so proud of students like you being an inspiration and an example to everyone else, uh, you know, trying their best out there. Uh, so, yeah, I definitely want to thank you, Sarai Duenas, for being on with us here today for the Migrants on Air podcast. And I want to wish you the very best. And hopefully thank you. next time I have to call paramedics, it's going to be Sarai pulling up in that action. <laughs> yes, hopefully. <laughs> Thank you. Right. Thank you so much, Sade. Migrants on Air, formerly known as We Are Home Arizona, is a Fuerte Network production in association with Frecuencia Alterna and Orona Multimedia. We'd like to formally thank everybody that was involved in the episode, starting with our hosts, Danny Orona, Carlos Yanes, and Karina Dominguez. And of course, we couldn't have done it without our amazing guests, Karina Ruiz, Corina Iribe, Jesus Vasquez, Darlene Peralta, and Sarai Dueñas. Graphics have been done by Karina Dominguez. Our theme song is Crazy Like That by Lo-Fi. Production and editing done by Karina Dominguez, Danny Orona, and Jesus Vasquez. Follow us on Spotify for this and all other Fuerte Network content. And make sure you log on to Fuerte.org to sign up for our mailing list. Mil gracias y hasta la próxima.